Now, let me pray for us as we uh, open God's word. Uh, Lord Jesus, we pray that as we uh, hear you speak to us from your word, that we would uh, be ready to receive uh, what you have to teach us. And we thank you for this passage before us, uh, in which we see the eyes of the disciples being opened by you. Uh, And we pray the same would be true of us tonight. Amen. Amen. Well, let me um, just uh, share a bit about myself and how the Lord Jesus brought me to him. Uh, I was 16 years old. Uh, I went to an all-boys school. This is in England. And becoming a Christian wasn't on my to-do list. Uh, I assumed I was a Christian because I was good. I knew what the right thing to do was in different situations. I knew the right answers. Uh, I was a good boy. I was the eldest of three boys. And I just wanted to please people. That was kind of my goal, and I thought that's what life was about. Uh, But then a friend at school, Tom, invited me along to a church camp, and I went along not really for the camp because I wanted to be Tom's friend. But at the camp, uh, if you like, I got the gospel presentation. All the bits and pieces that I'd heard previously seemed to come together, and I understood who Jesus was and what he'd come to do and how he was calling me to himself. And so our dorm leader at that group, an older guy called Mark, um, and I said to me, shall we go for a walk? And we went off for a walk and he said, do you want to follow the Lord? And I said, yes. I can't remember what else was said, uh, but I knew that after that week when I got home that I was a Christian and uh, it's the best thing uh, that's happened to me since. Uh, it came as a surprise to my parents. Uh, my French grandmother uh, thought I had joined a cult because I was always doing stuff at church. Um, the churches in France don't have a good reputation. And my mum, who wasn't a Christian at the time, was convincing my, her mum, my French grandmother, no, your grandson has not joined a cult. Uh, this has been really good for him. Uh, that's a bit about me, and I don't know what your story is, how you came to Christ. Uh, but before us in Luke 24, we have this wonderful passage where the Lord Jesus opens the eyes of two disciples and helps them to see him from the scriptures. And once they see him, uh, that is when they are transformed and they go out with great joy to tell the other disciples, he's not dead, (laughs) he's very much alive and he appeared to us. And if later this evening you read on in the rest of Luke 24, uh, Jesus appears to all the other disciples and assures them of what he has accomplished through his death and resurrection. So in Luke chapter 24, in our passage, uh, we can see, if you like, a pattern for transformation. Uh, This pattern both is how Jesus brings a person to faith, and it's also how he helps a Christian to grow in their relationship with him. Uh, And I hope this is helpful for you. There are four parts that I can see. Jesus draws near to those in need. He then instructs or teaches his people from his word about himself. Then he opens their eyes to see him. And this fills them with joy that they go out and tell others about him. So firstly, Jesus draws near. 
Now, it's difficult for us, I think, to grasp just how devastated the disciples were after their Jesus had been crucified. And not only was he their friend, not only had they wandered around with him for the last three years, uh, they'd been taught by him personally, they'd seen him do amazing things, heal, uh, do miracles, cast out demons and so much more. They'd seen him crucified, but they'd also put all of their hopes and dreams and future in the same Jesus because they came to believe that he was the Messiah, uh, the one who would redeem Israel, as one of the disciples puts it. Now, for Israel to redeem, that's another way, a shorthand way of saying that God would come and make everything right. He would establish an eternal kingdom where there was, there'd be nothing bad and no one sad ever. I mean, can you imagine such a place? Can you imagine going out into your week and the people you meet, they're not sad, they're not bad, but only joy, only life, only thankfulness, uh, no vandalism in the streets, just everything is perfect, everything is right. This was a kind of kingdom that they were hoping for, but when they saw their Jesus, the Messiah, crucified, their hopes and dreams died with him. Well, they thought that was the end, but we read here that Jesus draws near to them. And we're told in verse 16 that they were kept from recognising him. Now notice that the text doesn't say the disciples did not recognise Jesus. So it's not their fault they didn't recognise him, but their eyes were kept from recognising him. Someone was blinding them. Someone was stopping them from seeing Jesus. And who could do such a thing? Well, only God, who gives us eyes to see. And sometimes he acts in such ways that we do not see. But then the question, I think, that arises from this is, why would God blind the disciples? Why would they stop? Why, why could they not see his son? Because isn't, what, isn't that what God wants, for people to see his son? Because then they would see him, the Heavenly Father. I mean, why doesn't Jesus just suddenly appear and go, hey, I'm back, surprise, I told you I'd come back, here I am. Well, Jesus has got something to teach his disciples before they see him. And this is really good news for us, as we'll see. So Jesus comes alongside them and he asks, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? Now, this is a question that literally stops the disciples in their track. They stood still, the text tells us. And you can hear the pain in their answer as they tell him, are you the only one who hasn't heard what's been going on in Jerusalem? Haven't you heard? Don't you know about this Jesus who's been doing all of these miracles? It could seem to us that Jesus is being a bit insensitive. I mean, firstly, why hasn't he shown himself to them? And why is he getting them to recount the painful events of the Messiah that they'd hoped in getting crucified? But he knows what he's doing. He always knows what he's doing. He's helping them to articulate 
what they believe and what they hope for and what they have understood has taken place. And while they have the facts, there is still something missing in their understanding. There's a key they haven't quite got. And because of this, Jesus rebukes them. Because they have had the key all along to understanding why the Messiah first had to die. They've had the scriptures. Now Jesus isn't being harsh. Remember that he always does things for the benefit of others. And so he rebukes his disciples there to teach them, to encourage them, to refine them. So after drawing near, now he opens the scriptures with them. Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe, all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things, and then enter into his glory? Uh, There's a great scholar who died some years ago called Leon Morris, and he puts it like this. The disciples had no doubt seized on the prediction of the glory of the Messiah. But it was quite another thing to take to heart the prophecies that pointed to the darker side of his mission, that the Christ must suffer before entering into glory. It seems from what scholars say that Jesus was the first Jewish teacher to come along and connect the all-glorious passages about the Messiah with the suffering servant passages about the Messiah. He made it quite clear that they weren't two separate figures, but one and the same. This confused people in his day. They didn't understand why they were talking about a suffering Messiah. Do you remember um, Peter tries to defend Jesus when they come to arrest him? Uh, They're expecting an all-conquering, powerful military uh, ruler to defeat Rome. But Jesus has come to do something rather different. It seems that they had been selectively reading God's word and they'd ended up with a distorted view of God. They were drawn towards the wonderful passages of the one who would reign, but they'd kind of stayed away and were ignorant, if you like, of the passages where the Messiah would suffer. It's a bit like if you meet someone for the first time and you only uh, accept part of what they say about themselves... You end up with a distorted picture. That's not who they are. You end up with a wrong idea. And so I think these disciples had so emphasised the glorious aspects of the Messiah who would come in power that they'd failed to understand or grapple with the difficult passages about the Messiah who would suffer. I think this also explains why Jesus was... Do you remember he was welcomed with shouts of joy and hosanna on that Palm Sunday, one the Sunday previously. They'd welcomed him as the King of Israel, hosanna in the highest. But then by the Friday he was being crucified and rejected by all. Because the people, he wasn't the Messiah they were expecting. And when he didn't meet their expectations... They crucified him. They had the right man, but they had all the wrong hopes in him because their view of God was so imbalanced and therefore distorted. 
And on reflection, I think we can easily do the same. Where because of our personalities or experiences or background, we, we might gravitate towards passages in the Bible that tell us about God or a certain aspect of him. But we avoid the more difficult passages that we find just make us uneasy or we just find them hard to swallow. Now, that's something that you need to ask yourself. Are there bits of the Bible that I avoid because I just don't want to grapple with what it is that they're saying? Are there aspects of God that I am not acknowledging because of my imbalanced reading of his word? I think what will help us is being part of a church and talking to other Christians about those passages. Um, There's one conversation that came to mind um, this afternoon where I was really struggling with a particular sin and I was talking to an older man at church, uh, Alan, and I was just sharing how difficult I was finding to get out of this sin. And I said, I know that grace, because of God's grace, I can be forgiven, I can come to God, I can ask him to forgive me and he will forgive me. And Alan said, well, Devin, you know that grace is also given to you so you can say no to sin. And I was like... Of course. I knew the passage. There was, Alan shared it with me. I'd read it many times before. But it took Alan to speak that word to me for me to go, ah, oh, grace isn't just for me to say, God, forgive me for the sin that I've done, but it's also given to me so that I don't sin in the first place. That was just a massive change from that one conversation. And it's often only in talking with people that we realise... Maybe I'm neglecting that part of God and I need to hear more and think more about God who is a judge or God who is all-powerful, sovereign, God who is good all the time. And maybe my friend, my fellow brother or sister in Christ, they need to hear about this part of God that they haven't explored. And that's something wonderful you can do together. Well, Jesus wants to save, if you like, these two disciples from having a wrong view of God. And so he points them back to God's word. And verse 27, I think, is just marvellous. I mean, just imagine for a moment that you're a Shakespeare fan and Shakespeare comes and talks talks to you about one of his plays. Or you're in an art gallery, maybe before one of... um, Have you ever seen... Uh, Water Lilies by Claude Monet. He's got a whole series of them. But these paintings are several metres wide and several metres high. Uh, but imagine you're, you're before one of those and Claude Monet comes along and starts talking to you about his painting. Well, here we have the Lord Jesus opening his word about him to his disciples. Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. What a Bible study that would have been. <laughs> that would have been incredible. And every time I read that passage, I, wish, I, I keep thinking, Lord, why haven't you included that Bible study in your word? <laughs> why, why not? And I think the answer is because he would say to me and to you, you have my word. You have it all, the old and the new. Go looking. 
Go searching for me in every page. Um, There's a great encouragement that the Bible doesn't remain on our shelf, but that we actually open it and dive in to find the Lord Jesus. Uh, There's many great resources. Maybe you come across the... um, there's There's a kid's Bible, which is great, and the tagline is, Every Page Whispers His Name. Uh, it's a wonderful book. But, and it gives you just a, a great overview of how the Lord Jesus, or the promise of his coming, and how it's, it all, it's all there in the Old Testament. Well, what would the Lord have included in this Bible study about himself? Uh, it would have been quite a walk, a couple of hours probably, uh, to get to Emmaus. It was about 11 kilometres. I'm sure they probably started walking more slowly than usual because they wanted to hear more from this stranger who was teaching them wonderful things. But surely Jesus would have included things about how the Messiah was the one who would come and crush the serpent's head, promised back in Genesis 3. Uh, The Messiah was the true sacrifice for sin, which all the animal sacrifices pointed to. The Messiah was a promised land we longed for, the one where you could come and meet God and enter into God's presence. The true judge, greater than Samson or Gideon, who would bring perfect, lasting justice. The true eternal king, who would be far greater than King David, who only had this temporary golden age on earth and then it through his sin it crumbled, the Messiah would establish an eternal, perfect kingdom. The true life who would conquer death, so you and I might go to be with God and his people forever. It's no wonder that the disciples' hearts burned as he opened the scriptures to them. That's what stirs their hearts. It's the open Bible and having Jesus teach them about himself. Um, A bishop, an Anglican bishop from, I think, a couple of hundred years ago, uh, J.C. Ryle, he wrote this about this passage. Let it be a settled principle in our minds in reading the Bible that Christ is a central sum of the whole book. So long as we keep Christ in view, we shall never greatly err in our search for spiritual knowledge. But if we lose sight of him, we shall find the whole Bible dark and full of difficulty. The key of Bible knowledge is Jesus Christ. So the Bible's all about Jesus. When you read it, search for him. And if you can't find him, uh, talk to another Christian. Talk to Ben. Uh, There's some great resources and conversations to be had. You can imagine the disciples at this point are no longer devastated or as despairing as they were when they left Jerusalem. Their whole understanding of the scriptures is being changed as Jesus gives them the interpretation. The key is the Messiah. They are getting closer to understanding why he had to suffer before entering into glory. And so as evening approaches, they reach Emmaus and It looks like Jesus is going to continue on and they urge him to stay with them. And it's as they sit for a meal that Jesus gives thanks and in that moment their eyes 
are unveiled and they see him. <laughs> they see him, they recognise him, and then he disappears. <laughs> it does beg the question, why does Jesus go through all this effort of having this very long Bible study on a road, only to reveal himself for an instant and then disappears? It seems kind of rude, doesn't it, when somebody's invited you over for a meal, <laughs> you sit down to eat, you give thanks and then you disappear. I mean, what is going on? What is going on? I think what Jesus is doing, if I might be so bold to speak for him, is that he conceals his identity from his disciples until after they have understood and grasped something of the fact that God's word is about him. He wants them to know that the Messiah getting crucified has not derailed God's plan of salvation, but was God's plan all along. Salvation has come, and it is far better than simply having a Messiah come and conquer the Romans. This is a salvation that saves you from the death you deserve and gives you the eternal life you never deserve. Jesus knows that God's word is a firmer foundation for faith than upon a fleeting experience of his risen presence. And so while the two disciples have this momentary split-second recognition of the physical Lord, their hearts continue to burn within them after he's gone because they now have the scriptures and they've now understood that it's all about him. They've had the facts of the Messiah suffering and being handed over and being crucified and now being raised to life, but the facts by themselves aren't enough. Jesus has helped them to see that this was God's way to rescue a people for himself. I mean, can you imagine how their minds must have been reeling at this wonderful news and they're trying to put all the pieces together and they're wondering, where do I start? Who can I tell? And even though it's late, regardless of the dangers they would have faced on the road going back to Jerusalem, they must have run those 11 kilometres back in order to tell the others, other disciples he is alive and then recount this Bible study as best they can. And it's as they were talking about these things that we're told that Jesus appears amongst them. Uh, he first says, peace be with you. He hasn't come in judgment. He's come to remind them that they have God's peace because of him. Then he asks them for some fish to eat, not because he's hungry, (laughs) but because he wants to show them that he is physically there with them. And then he tells them all, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third and on sorry thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem you are witnesses of these things and see i'm sending upon you what my father promised the holy spirit So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. 
I hope you can see something of how Jesus transforms his people. He draws near to them in their need and helps them to understand the dire straits that they are in. Only then, if you like, are they ready to receive from him his wonderful word and instruction. And it's as they immerse themselves into his word, as they understand what is going on, that he reveals himself to them. If you like, he answers their prayer that they might see him. And on seeing him, they are transformed and they go out in his name with joy. Uh, I'm not sure where each of you is at with your walk with God, uh, but this is something I think we all need to hear. As I said at the beginning, this is something that helps us understand how a person comes to Christ when Jesus draws near and opens their eyes to see him from the Bible. But it's also how you and I continue to grow as Christians in our relationship with him. He draws near, will we receive him? He opens his word, will we accept that word? And when we don't, will we trust that he knows what he's doing and what he has said? Uh, We can pray to him, Lord, help me see, help me understand how I should live for you. He loves to answer those prayers. And in that, we are then able to go out in his name. Uh, Maybe you need to hear today that Jesus draws near to those in need. Uh, There might be something going on in your life that you struggle with. Uh, You might know somebody in great need at this moment, in dire straits. Maybe you could draw near to them and bring them something of the goodness of God from his word. To speak a word of hope into their life. uh, To help them understand their situation uh, so that they cry out to God. Uh, When my friend Tom invited me to this church camp, I thought I was fine. I thought my life was quite good, I was quite happy, but... There were Christians in that youth group who helped me to understand that there were bigger questions that I hadn't considered and I wasn't right with God. But I could be um, through the Lord Jesus. Uh, Maybe you need to be challenged by the Lord or you need to let him teach you. Uh, Are you slow of heart to believe what God says in his word? Uh, Do you know why Jesus is a Messiah who had to suffer for you before entering into glory? Uh, When did you last read the Old Testament to get to know Jesus? Are there parts of God's word that you avoid because you find them hard to accept? Now, I only ask to encourage you that the Lord would want to teach you and I uh, from all parts of his word. Uh, to teach, rebuke, correct, train us in righteousness uh, so that we who belong to God might might be proficient and equipped for every good work. Uh, Or maybe you need the Lord to open your eyes. There might be a situation at work or in your family where you have no idea what to do or how to move forward. Why not ask the Lord Jesus to help you to see what you can do. I find prayers often the last thing I do when I'm in a tight spot. But when I do finally pray, or when a friend says, Devin, have you prayed about this? <laughs> it's good having friends like that. When I do pray, that's when relief comes and things are brought into perspective. 
And I'm also reminded that even if my difficulty isn't resolved on earth, one day I will see Jesus face to face and all my earthly troubles will fade away into nothingness. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we praise you that uh, by your grace you have first drawn near to us and while we were still sinners, you died for us and rose again to new life. Open our eyes, we pray, from your word that we might be drawn all the closer to you and grow in our relationship with you. We thank you for providing your people to us uh, through which we can be encouraged and built up And we do praise you that when two or three are gathered in your name, you promise to be there amongst them. And we thank you that you are here with us tonight. And we pray that as we go out into the week, we may go confidently in your name to make you known and share this wonderful news that with you there is so many wonderful things and there is life after death. Amen.